Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Candace Birch. And Candace is a hormone health educator. So I'm going to say right at the top of this, if you are a man that has a female in their life, a mom, a sister, a daughter, a wife, a girlfriend, listen, this particular show, and I usually don't do this, is heavily female-centric because we talk all about, you know, whether we've got teenagers who are entering into the hormone journey, dear Lord, if you're having a rough time with your cycles, PMS, menopause, perimenopausal, whatever it is, we go deep on this. So I just want to warn you at the top, but I really love this conversation because Candace is on a mission to sort of remind us, listen, we don't have to suffer through it, whether it's bad periods, if you're a young person just you know trying to navigate this, if you are menopausal or perimenopausal, that it's not about just losing your mind, gaining tons of weight, that there's just things we can do. Let's start with first our lifestyles and the natural ways that we can try to calibrate our hormones. Or if in fact we do need, you know, some kind of bioidentical and really navigating what that looks like. The other thing I want to say is that she is offering, if you're interested in a saliva test at home, you can go to their website, yourhormonebalance.com. If you put in the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y at checkout, they will give you $50 off of your test. I love this conversation selfishly, but also to share that with you so that we can help each other enjoy our lives better and know that there's tools and resources out there. I was wondering if maybe we could just touch a little bit about hormones. And then obviously I want to spend more time in the weeds, just a better understanding about maybe what's going on or ways that we can help if we do have daughters or a sister. Is there anything that we can even do to support them for a younger person that's realistic? Because that's the other thing, right? Is like, what's realistic? You know, I think with younger women, what's really important is that First of all, some women get their periods really young, like a nine-year-old that's getting their period probably has too much estrogen from eating foods that are possibly injected with estrogen, like the, the meat and the dairy that is commercially processed that is shot up with estrogen hormones to make the cattle grow fat faster and to produce more milk. And so when kids, when they have a lot of dairy that includes hormones, they can become estrogen dominant and get estrogen thickening that lining, the uterine lining, it's a growth hormone. So it's, it grew all of our female organs, but during our cycles, it's what thickens the uterine lining. That's what we shed as a period. And it's also growing that egg in the ovary. So really the normal time to get a period is more like 12, 13, but girls that are exposed to estrogens early, and that not only includes, you know, the foods I was talking about, but it includes cosmetics, household chemicals, those xenoestrogens, the chemicals in the environment that act like estrogens when they get into our bodies, meaning they can dock up to a receptor site for what should be a naturally produced estrogen and replace it. Kind of like the unwanted guest who comes to your house and sleeps on your couch forever and you can't get rid of them. <laughs> they just kind of take up residence and don't leave. And that can happen with fake estrogens that mimic normal. So it's important for young women, for us moms to be aware that we want to watch that. And when we're shopping to buy hormone-free, GMO-free, you know, labels that say things like our cows are happy cows, or we don't give them any artificial hormones. That's the label, or it should say something like these animals were raised without hormones. It's not good enough for the label to say no added hormones.
hormones. That often refers to just adding it to the feed, but what about injected hormones? There's so many things. And with cosmetics, Cosmetic Safety Act hasn't been updated in 80 years. So we are using cosmetics that aren't disclosing a lot of the chemicals that, that are in there. They're placental tissue in some of the anti-aging moisturizers, et cetera. So that doesn't apply to younger gals, but there's lead in lipstick. There's heavy metals in these things and they act like hormones and they can really disrupt the normal establishment of a period for a young woman. And I think a couple of the other issues to watch out for with our young girls is that they get so emotional about animals and they want to be vegans. And that can become an issue because let's say you haven't had your period yet or you're young and you still don't have an established period and now you're refusing to eat any protein that comes from animals. Well, that becomes really important to figure out how to eat proteins properly with plant-based foods mm. so that you're not missing out on the protein and especially good fat benefit of those are the hormone building blocks. Would it be appropriate, let's say, if you had a family and they're vegetarian or vegan and, and you are via us a child who for her own purposes says, Hey, I, I don't want to eat animals. Like to supplement them even young with like an omega, would that be appropriate? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. They support and nourish all the organs and glands that are responsible for making these hormones. So why not? You know, and certainly there are better choices like grass fed beef, grass fed animals are much higher in the omega threes. And sometimes that's something you can, if you're a meat eater yourself and your child is insisting on being a vegan, maybe you can get them over to the understanding that grass fed animals live a happy, good life. Their life may be short, but it's humane. Or the idea of eating fish. A lot of people are pescatarian. They're not eating meat, but they're eating fish. I see a lot of test results of younger women who have really low estrogen and progesterone levels when they're in their 20s and early, you know, even in their early 20s. And they have symptoms as though they're a menopausal woman. They have hot flashes. They have night sweats. They have mood swings. They have vaginal dryness at 23. That's an issue that is often related to restrictive dieting. My own daughter, I won't say which which one, because she'll get mad at me, but she missed her period for a couple of years because she was so strictly vegan. I think that's the reason. There are websites for like the makeup that at least tells you what is good. Yeah. There's environmental working group, ewg.org has something called the Skin Deep program. And they actually list a ton of different products. You can look up a product that you're thinking of buying or that you're already using and find out what its toxicity level is. Is it full of you know, hormones? Is it full of toxins and chemicals that you wouldn't see in a product in Europe? I think there are about 1,400 different chemical ingredients that the Americans allow in our products versus that are not allowed in European products. Same with your food in Europe. I'm glad I raised my girls in England because they didn't allow hormones in the food. And that was before I knew about it. I wasn't thinking about it then in the early days. They don't allow hormones in milk or dairy or cheese or any of that. So European cosmetics may be a safer way to go or check out Skin Deep program. There's also, I think there's something called Think Dirty or Tuesday Morning that has some way to, when you're in the store to shop, you're standing in front of the product and you can look it up right then and see. Then also there are products like Beauty Counter, which I think should be 
talked about because Beauty Counter's owner has been a real activist up on Capitol Hill trying to get the Cosmetic Safety Act updated to protect us from these different heavy metals and chemicals that are in this stuff we're putting all over our skin. You know, women use billions of dollars worth of beauty products every year and we're smearing it all over our skin and our skin's a great absorption organ. So we're picking up a lot of toxins that are disrupting our hormone balance. So Beauty Counter and Thrive Marketplace. And I think the simplest thing to do really for people, like you said, you look at all these labels, you've got to become an investigator and read labels. But really, if you have a million ingredients that are hard to pronounce and have all kinds of X's and Z's and Y's in the name, it's like, really? Do we need all these things? It's just really good to look for simple ingredients that are not hard to pronounce. If there's just too many of them, forget about it. One in particular, lorith sulfate, glycopropyl, all of these names that are hard to say and nobody knows what they do, except that they're disruptors of our endocrine system. You know, just stay away from that and go simple. It's like eating well. A good product shouldn't have a lot of processing. It shouldn't have met much more than five ingredients, you know, when you're trying to eat clean. So when you're trying to use products that you're putting on your body and on your hair, and God knows we use a lot of them, pounds and pounds of it a year, we need to be very careful. And I still haven't gone gray. I'm just still too vain to go gray. So I try to do the plant-based hair dyes. Yeah. Avita is one of them, and I know there are others, but every chance you get to look for a less toxic alternative, I think, is the way to go. It's chemicals, it's heavy metals, it's microwaving your food in plastic. There are chemicals in plastic that actually, when they're heated, leach into the foods we eat and they act like estrogens in the body. They're called estrogen mimickers. So they're imposters, but man, they can create an overstimulated excess of hormones and throw everything else out of balance. The hormones are the musicians or the instruments. And if any one of them play out of tune, the whole thing is lost, right? Or synchronized swimmers. If one swimmer swims off to the other side of the pool or dives down or splashes around, what happened to that beautiful pedal formation? I really enjoy, and maybe you could go just a little deeper from your journey to hormone health educator, because you had your own sort of a a moment of, okay, this isn't working. (laughs) I just love to know what that looked like for you. And and then I want to dive down into cortisol and adaptogens and hormones. (laughs) Okay. Well, what it looked like for me when I was staring at Ryan with her big blue eyes filled with tears, I just thought, okay, okay, obviously this is hormonal. I'd been a health educator already for many years. I knew I had to get a handle on it. Actually, at the time, I remember thinking, oh my God, there's such a thing as a hormonal imbalance. And that's something people still don't really realize. It's so important to know the symptoms of hormonal imbalance. It's like, how painful should a period be? It shouldn't be painful at all, really. We shouldn't have period pain. We shouldn't have heavy periods. We shouldn't have missed periods. We shouldn't have horrible PMS that turns us into Jekyll and Hyde every month. There are so many different symptoms women should be made aware of. So I started looking into it. I did a test. I found out at 48 years old, my progesterone levels were low because progesterone is the hormone that's made upon ovulation and supports that whole second half of the cycle, whether you're going to have, if you get pregnant, it's progesterone rises to make a lush 
squeaky, juicy environment for that embryo to implant in. And if you're not pregnant, if you don't become pregnant, that cycle progesterone drops, which is one of the reasons we get horrible PMS sometimes. If it drops too much, we get a period. So I realized I was really low in progesterone. The test result showed me that. Why? Because I was 48 and my hormones were starting to fluctuate. That's when your ovaries start to Perimenopause is that time between your 30s and late 30s and all through your 40s when your ovaries are starting to pack their bags. And they take about eight to 10 years to do that. Depending on the amount of stress in your life and how crazy busy you are all the time, overbooked, overcommitted, maybe you're over-exercising and under-eating, et cetera, et cetera. This all adds and complicates the issue of how long your ovaries are going to supply you with some respectable amount of hormone. People who are under a lot of physical, mental, emotional stress you know, don't do as well. So I was under a lot of stress because I was always working to deadlines and I had two kids and I was drinking too much coffee. So whatever it is, I think people know what they're doing. You know, people are up late on their laptops. And I heard you on one of your podcasts talking about blue blockers that I think is a sponsor for you. So important to block that blue light at night. So I started because it disrupts melatonin, which then creates more cortisol, which makes us more stressed, which messes with our sleep-wake cycle. So the testing tests all of these levels. It looks at your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA and your stress hormone levels. And I was really a basket case so everything seemed to be out of balance. So it, was, it wasn't only, you know, just I did start using some progesterone cream, which is one of the first one of the first steps in trying to, you know, the idea is to replenish what your body is no longer able to make enough of for you. Now, that's a different story if you're 23 and your body should be ovulating and you should be making enough hormone. But when a woman is in menopause or perimenopause, that can be wonky. So you have to clean up your act stress-wise, eating-wise, et cetera, and then maybe use a little dab of progesterone cream at bedtime, which I did, and my kids were... You have to take a break from progesterone during your cycle. You only use it during the luteal second half of your cycle because you're mimicking natural physiology. So when I would be the two weeks off the progesterone, my daughters would be saying, mom, where's that cream? You need to... need to rub that cream back in. Mom, you know. But let's say a younger woman is thinking, oh, you know, I it hasn't been good and I am stressed. And I think they have a different battle with the phone all the time and connectivity and all these other things that they navigate that you and I didn't yeah. navigate coming yes. through. Is there a time universally for either someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s to take a test? So if you still have your cycle, is it sort of Two weeks after your cycle, when would be the optimum time to sort of get a really healthy snapshot of what your hormones are looking like? On a broader level, I think anyone that has symptoms of hormone imbalance that are disrupting their lives, they can't sleep, they're gaining weight that even though they're doing everything right, they think they're eating clean and they're exercising. They have mood swings and acne, et cetera, et cetera, and their doctor old school doctor, if it's an old school doctor is saying, we need to put you on the pill. I think that's the time to think about testing hormone levels to see if there is an existing imbalance. And always when cycling women, the test is always done in the second half, the luteal phase. It's generally days 19, 20, 21 of let's say a 28, 30 day cycle. 
So right around mid midway, you ovulate, and then we test a few days later so that we're getting kind of the, the peak of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all those hormones right before they start to dissipate a bit into that second half of the cycle, moving up towards getting your period again, when right before the period, they're at the lowest level. So we want to capture them. I use saliva because it's non-invasive, you can collect at home the minute you wake up in the morning and then at noon, evening, and bedtime, because you want to track cortisol, stress hormone levels, the adrenal cortisol, not adrenaline that has you running from the Taliban, but the cortisol that is your 24-7 energy hormone and that also regulates your blood sugar, which boils down to energy, your blood sugar, insulin, sleep, and immunities. So we can track all of that and all the other hormone levels by testing in the second half of your cycle. So when women get a kit, they do need to wait until day 19, 20, 21, collect all throughout that same day. And we can get a good snapshot you know, and people will say, well, every day is different, but still there are ranges that are set, healthy ranges, and we want these hormones to fall within. It's about resilience. Even if you're stressed or let's say you're cut off in traffic and you're late for work or whatever is happening that can stress you, the adrenal should be resilient enough to get back to a normal level. It's when we see levels that are way too high and sort of chronically high flatlined or low, which is really, a lot of women are shocked to see their cortisol levels are low. They'll say to me, oh my God, I'm a lawyer. I work 10 hours a day. I've got three kids and I'm so busy all the time. I thought my stress hormones would be off the charts and they're low. How can that be? But it's very, very common because so many people are going, 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 going for years and years especially women, are we not notorious for taking care of everyone but ourselves? So you're putting people before us, before we put the oxygen mask on ourselves. So we get depleted and we start to run on empty. And, and with women who are in the perimenopause, menopause years, the adrenals become our main source of hormone when the ovaries are done. So we have to really support them, give them a lot of tender, loving care. A lot of us can clean up a lot of these situations, let's say first when we're younger with our lifestyle. I was going to say also for younger women, the heavy painful periods or the irregular periods or the the PMS, huge. They they just accept that as a sentence. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, should you have horrible heavy periods? No, periods shouldn't be an inconvenience. None of these things should be to disrupt your life to the point. And how many women have I talked to who say they have to leave work or leave school or they're curled up in a fetal ball when they're having their period? That's a numero uno clue that you probably have some kind of a hormonal imbalance going on. And we have a symptom quiz on our website, Your Hormone Balance, which is a good place to start because there are many, many symptoms of hormone imbalance. Some of them aren't as obvious as others. Weight gain is a big one. Belly fat, weight gain around the waist. There are many, many symptoms that can respond to, can be identified in a hormone test, but we don't always just go for, there are supplements, there are hormone creams, but it's sort of like what's appropriate for your age. If I talk to someone who says she's working out seven days a week or six days a week doing heavy, high interval training, is a vegetarian or doesn't get much protein or diet, doesn't like protein and has a raft of symptoms, we know that these are things she's going to have to change in her lifestyle, as well as create 
support through some of the really good, as you were asking, adaptogens, herbs, and vitamins, et cetera, that we all need just because our soil is denatured. It's hard to get everything in the foods that we eat and who eats perfectly. So for younger women, are we seeing in some of these because of the stress and the lifestyle and the lack of sleep and all of that? You know, it's kind of chicken and egg. I think for younger women, if their diet is not good, if they have a, you know, if they're eating a lot of junk food or processed food. I remember when I went to high school and this was Beverly Hills High School I went to, which I'm usually embarrassed to admit, but we (laughs) thought it was cool that our nutrition break was a glazed donut in a chocolate milkshake. I mean, (laughs) only in a highfalutin high school are you going to get that, but that's the worst kind of nutrition. I was hooked on glazed donuts for years and probably had way too much sugar and carbs and all of that. And that's pretty common with some younger women. With some younger women, it's over-exercise. That's a real problem. We could talk about the over-exercise because somebody like myself who is at a very high level for a really long time, I never exercised for the sake of trying to be skinny ever because that wasn't what was going to help me, right? Like performance was going to help me. But I sometimes feel that there's a different energy around when people are not eating enough nutrition to support their system and then training with to be thinner. I'm not thin enough and all of that. So with young women, it's like, hey, let's get your food lined up, your caloric intake congruent at least with your output and the right kinds of calories. Sugar is easy to get too much sugar in the diet, first of all. So that gets into the whole conversation about you have to be your own detective and start reading labels because there's sugar in most foods. And it's hard to find foods that don't have high fructose corn syrup in them or don't have too many grams of sugar. You have to just really be careful about that, especially younger women, because when we're young, we often don't have a weight problem yet or we don't think there's anything wrong with being too thin. And so we think we can eat whatever we want and we could be slowly building a polycystic ovarian syndrome unwittingly because we think, well, I don't have a weight problem. I'm active. I can eat all the sugar I want. But actually women that are too thin usually don't have enough estrogen. If they're overeating of carbs and sugars, they're making too many androgens as in testosterone and DHEA because the effect of sugars is that it raises insulin. If you're eating a lot of sugar, your body's job is to turn that sugar into energy in the muscles or to store it if there's too much. And that's insulin's job. If there's too much sugar and simple carbs coming into the diet all the time and high glycemic foods, maybe we like to eat fruit, but we don't want to be eating only pineapple, banana, and papaya. We need fruits that are more balancing and have antioxidants like berries and peaches and things that have natural phytoestrogens in them. This isn't something we get in sex ed. Nobody's telling us this in nutrition. I didn't learn this stuff in high school. So how's a young woman to know unless her mom's really savvy? So that combination of being too thin and not having enough body fat to make the right component of estrogens, eating too much sugar, creating too many androgens, you then become dominant in testosterone and hormones that make us fat around 
the middle that cause the ovaries to develop cysts, which then start creating even more testosterone. That's an imbalance of testosterone and estrogen. So now you're edgy and aggressive and you've got acne and your hair starts to get oily. Your skin is oily. A lot of problems with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is the most common hormone imbalance among women in their reproductive years. And it all starts when they're young. If they are not heeding the importance of getting complex carbohydrates. We don't want to discard carbs in general. Carbs are good. Good complex carbs in the form of fruit and vegetables with the skin on, of cruciferous vegetables, fantastic. Whole grains are full of the B vitamins and the minerals that we need to also make hormones. It's not about saying you've got to get off all carbs or that you have to stop all proteins or any of it. You just want, again, back to balance and back to the healthier forms of these foods. And that's what younger women need to hopefully learn at home. And kids are interesting too, because the minute you say to them, this is really important for you and it's have allergies or they have skin problems. And when you tell them this is the healthier version of what you've been eating and this is going to help you, they take it really seriously and they can be very compliant more so than us unruly adults who've had years of just kind of misbehaving maybe in our way of eating and living, you know, it's a holistic thing. It means we can't overexercise. I mean, in your world of athletics, women, like you are famous for having anovulatory, I'm not saying you, but women athletes are well known for having anovulatory cycles where they do not ovulate. If they don't ovulate, they don't make progesterone. Estrogen becomes excessive. And so can these other hormones because there isn't anything there to balance. Is there a way by doing certain things naturally to try to get things a little bit into balance? First of all, it comes back to ovulation. So for women who are cycling all those years through your 20s and 30s, and even into your early 40s, women have their cycles and they should follicular phase builds the estrogen. And then we go into the ovulatory phase. We make progesterone. We should be ovulating. If I see a test result in a younger woman and her progesterone is really low, and that puts her into an estrogen dominant phase or her testosterone and DHEA are really high because either she's over-exercising or she's eating a lot of carbs. Those are lifestyle changes that can be made. We have to look at what disrupts ovulation. Birth control, first of all, a lot of younger women are on birth control. A good 52% of them are on birth control, not for contraceptive purposes. They had acne or heavy periods or missed periods or the mood swings or they're gaining weight and they're just immediate default is put them on birth control. So that's the obvious reason they're not ovulating. But again, as we just mentioned, too much exercise and too little body fat. So under 19% body fat will impede ovulation and over-exercise. You just said over half the women you were training with weren't getting their period and weren't ovulating. That's really significant. And then also the toxins we started talking about early on, some of these xenobiotics that actually get in there and mess with hormone levels to the point where ovulation can be disrupted, exposure to these different chemicals. And I've talked to women who work in a plastic factory or, you know, are they exposed to it every day? What do you do with that? You either have to switch jobs or 
take other draconian means to stop the exposure. There's a lot of things that we can do lifestyle before we do anything in terms of using hormones. I don't think women need hormones until they're really in perimenopause. And sometimes it's just that gentle little bit of progesterone because it's so balancing. Sometimes it's Vitex, Chaseberry, which is an herb that can also increase progesterone naturally. So that's a natural approach without hormones, but it actually can boost hormone levels. Sometimes it's changing the diet so that we really reduce the carbs and the sugars I, I was listening to your interview with Dr. Ack. Mm. I really like him. Yeah. And he was saying with PCOS, women have to be very, very conscious of carbs. And he wasn't dissing all carbs, but he was saying brown rice that is cooked for a long time and nuts and seeds and legumes, those sort of carbs, and not much more if there's a real problem. So all of these things, nutrition, exposure to chemicals, getting enough sleep, although sleep can be a result of a hormone imbalance, but let's say you're on your computer late at night, like so many kids are, or on their cell phone, the blue light is disrupting the production of melatonin, and now cortisol is in the ascendance, cortisol, the stress hormone. And over time, if cortisol is high or just stays out of whack, then all the other hormones will be out of whack because cortisol trumps all. It's the king. We have to have it to live. So if we have stress demands that are really high because of these, you know, either emotional stress, we're in a toxic relationship or in a toxic job situation, or we're overworking, overexercising, overbooked, we're not eating well, all of those things, that comes first. But then we also need to support ourselves with some of the healthier, the good foods, the good fats, the good protein. Vitamin B is huge. Adaptogenic tinctures, those herbs that help to nourish and strengthen the adrenals. There's a lot we can do before we have to actually use a hormone. Uh, we talk a lot about meditation and breathing. I mm -hmm. rather exercise and find quiet time for me personally, right? So it's, I think it's also getting people to say, okay, I know all these things, like you said, that I can do and should be doing that I'm not doing. Yes. I'm really happy that you mentioned the thing about meditation and breathing because I was talking about all these other things, but obviously stress management, reducing any unnecessary stress, however you can. Deep breathing. I love Dr. Andrew Weil's four, seven, eight breath. When you can't fall asleep at night, it's excellent. Just deep breathing whenever, you know, stopping and taking a moment to assess the situation, meditation, all those things that cultivate stillness, sketching, you know, creativity. I often ask women to make a list of the 10 things they love to do most in all the world that de-stress them and relax them and bring them joy. That's an easy list to make, really, when you think about it. Oh, I love to scrapbook. I love to go to the theater. I love to camp. I love to spend quiet time. I actually love to spend time by myself. And then you go back through that list and you enter next to each entry. When is the last time I did that thing? <laughs> I've met women that say, I'm a singer, but I haven't been singing in two years. I love to laugh. I mean, we have people who now are so isolated because of COVID. There's a great phrase called collective effervescence. We don't laugh or have as much fun on our own as we do with other people. And so many of us have been isolated and we don't have the chance to just laugh out loud. All of these things are stress releases. So that's 
hugely important, and I'm happy you brought it up. And then there are things that, that increase our experience of stress that make us feel jittery or edgy, and that's things like caffeine. But it depends on what caffeine it is that you're... I mean, I like my cup of coffee in the morning. I put... Doesn't your husband have some lovely collagen that you can add to the coffee? I use that. We have a vegan creamer, but yeah, because also though that fat, which is a, it's a good fat, it's from coconut, but not MCT, right. but from the food, right? That releases mm-hmm. caffeine slower so you don't go up and go down. You know, you're not that's perfect. Down. I really wonder sometimes a lot, like I have a universal reoccurring question about myself and women, which is uh-huh. I'm all for being stoic. I'm all about it. Like I like try to practice stoicism. Am I really careful with my words and all of these things? But I'm wondering sometimes what is the mechanism inside women that it's so hard for us to get to that list of 10 things? Sometimes I think, well, we're the protectorate of the species, right? We're the ones that create ourselves. We're the ones longing for life itself. We're the ones growing that egg. And so maybe there's something very spiritual and subconscious, of course, about our responsibility we feel to others and to our responsibility to make sure that everyone else is taken care of before we think about ourselves. But I do think that most women I meet and talk to will say that over and over again. They don't have any downtime. They don't have any me time. Actually, test results are a great way. You show your family, you see this? My cortisol levels are flatline. Mom's a basket case. Mama needs some time. I remember a little book I used to read the kids. It was called Five Minutes Peace. And it was about this elephant family. And the elephant mom would somehow manages by the end of the book to have five minutes for her cup of tea in the morning. And I remember adopting that habit early on back when we were living in England. I would say to my family. I'm like the elephant family in five minutes peace. I need my morning to just sit my tea and stare out the window and not think or do anything in particular. There's that thing about cultivating stillness and not feeling like we always have to be busy. And I know it's easy enough to say these things, but it starts with simple step. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe instead of the second cup of caffeine, you switch to matcha. Jessie, my daughter, she's a Institute of International Nutrition health coach, and she's created a matcha blend that is the first one that I've ever tasted that I like. I didn't really like the taste of green tea. And she has all these alternatives to coffee that give you a little bit of a buzz, but a calm alertness rather than the jittery feeling that you can get with certain caffeine. But again, you know, if you add some collagen, some coconut, some something good like your husband's product, what's it called again? Um, Laird Superfood. It's Laird superfood. If you eat something sweet, be sure to remember, or if you're drinking wine, which has phytoestrogens, it's not the worst thing. Right. Cut it with some fiber. That will always, you know, eat something with some good fiber in it to cut the impact of caffeine or sweets upon your GI tract. Women love their wine. I know that's one place where women do let down and relax. And that's not a bad thing. Red wine has some natural plant resveratrol and plant-based phytos that actually can help to alleviate some of the symptoms of lower estrogen as we get older, the hot flashes and the night sweats and the mood swings. So making that list and saying, okay, I'm going to build back into my life these two things that I love, and I'm going to make a commitment to myself, and I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to tell my family, 
I'm exhausted or I just need this time to get calm again or whatever it is. I don't think women ask for help enough either because we're the ones always doing everything. And I think also it's on us to know what the symptoms of imbalance are. And, you know, we, women don't always know a whole lot about what their hormones do. We just go with that. I'm like you, you power through, you muddle through, you power through, you don't complain a lot, you carry on. Even when you bang yourself somewhere and you want to go, oh, 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 but no, we just soldier on and we do and we do and we do. And then we don't pay enough attention to ourselves because somehow it's selfish. Like you were saying, I remember one Mother's Day, my daughters took me to get a pedicure and that was only like five years ago. I'd never had one before. I just didn't take the time. I didn't take the time to get a massage. I didn't take the time to sit and do a sketch. I love to sketch, you know, and I, I wasn't making the time to do that. So it takes a conscious effort to say to everyone that loves you. And the other thing is when women get into hormonal imbalances, we are irritated and annoyed and oppressed by the people we love most in all the world. And we spend so much time apologizing to them and feeling bad. And then we redouble our efforts to be the perfect mother before we get to the place where we say, you know what, I'm going through changes here. And I need you all to understand that. Just And like you said, they will stop what they're doing. They just depend on us to be there forever and to be perfect and to never have anything wrong, right? And especially those of us who do do everything really well, people just let you do it. Yeah. Your family will let you do it. They'll let you organize every single event and every single bedtime story all the way down the line forever. If you're moving into menopause, perimenopausal, postmenopause, it doesn't have to be a complete misery. No. The thing that I find with women that are having Jekyll and Hyde symptoms, I mean, perimenopause can definitely famously be linked with roller coaster symptoms. So, and, and part of that is physiologic because the hormones are actually fluctuating. The ovaries are getting wonky. They're shifting. It's kind of like the seesaw, but how precipitous the drop Remember being on a seesaw when you're a kid and some kid slams you to the ground and you're either on the ground or you're hanging up high and about to fall off and there's no balance there. And that is really when we're talking about extremes. And I think especially women in perimenopause, because their hormones start to fluctuate, they get panicked with the first sight of some extra weight around their belly. They hate it. Women hate their belly fat. So they start spinning and working out to an extreme, under eating, you know, at the same time, maybe they're not getting enough sleep because on their computer, we are all so addicted. The other day I lost my phone and I was out of sorts for all the whole half of the day because I didn't have my damn phone. And it was just like, what? There's nothing earth shattering that's happening on that phone. Let it be. Just turning off the phone at night, turning it off not just putting it in another room, but turning it off can be a real liberation. So yeah, I think with perimenopausal women, we can have terribly dramatic symptoms and we're much more known for having dramatic symptoms than our male partners who also have hormone issues. It's more of a slow slide for them or they sort of start to lose enthusiasm for the things they used to love to do or they don't have the same drive, competitive drive, because their testosterone is going down and their estrogen is going up. And that relative thing will make some men more emotional and tearful and less athletic, you know, all kinds of things. But with us, we can go between highs and lows. We've got all of these hormones, the same hormones as men, just in different amounts. 
And if we're getting higher levels of testosterone and lower levels of estrogen, then we're going to have heart palpitations, which it sounds like that's what you were having. Your heart was racing because estrogen's wobbly and testosterone tends to remain more steady. So in the face of a lowering estrogen, as you get into your 50s, you may start to have heart palpitations. There are all kinds of symptoms around that. So it really is like you said something earlier today about, you know, you would love that morning of 15 minutes to yourself to meditate, but you can't do that right now. That's what we have to investigate. Is that true or is there some adjustment you could make? Is there some space you could carve out for you? I think that's where we need to do that because if we don't, rapid aging is also part of our experience as we move into menopause. I think women who are really, and you look gorgeous, I can't imagine that you're- Well, also with me is I just do it in the way that feels good. So for me, I'd rather take a quiet moment or do a check-in like- at a mm-hmm. side, like the sauna. And I also really look at my train as a luxury. Like I'm well aware when I do my training, I'm like, oh, this is me time. Besides all yeah. the health benefits, when I train, I'm like, I'm not apologizing. I don't compromise this time. This is, you know, my thing. So my point of that earlier was just saying to people, hey, it's whatever's going to support you the way you need it. So it could be that you go take that walk and not go sit for 15 minutes and be quiet. Yes, whatever it is that whatever it's, but it's knowing what you want. I, I think a lot of women have not even thought about what they want or what they need for years. I'm curious. <laughs> I have a friend who told me, you know, she was going through menopause and she said, listen, I'm eating air basically. And just the pounds are coming you know, but what is there to do? What happens there for women when they get into that? Because I think that that's a quicksand that a lot of women experience that is kicks their ass in a real way. Yeah, that's true. Because first of all, the ovaries produce most of our estrogen, all of our progesterone and 50% of our testosterone. So as we move into, or maybe it's more like between 25 and 50%, the adrenals produce a lot too. But as we move into perimenopause and menopause, metabolism slows down. Estrogen becomes higher because we're not ovulating and making progesterone to balance it. So when estrogen is higher, it's absolutely linked to weight gain. There's an estrogen fat pattern distribution. Well, it's just called the estrogen fat pattern distribution, hips, thighs, the bottom. We start to see fat building up there. If we're gaining weight, we start to gain weight and the fat seems to go to those areas. And there's also a connection between estrogen dominance. So we're talking about estrogen that's either high or in excess relative to waning progesterone. And estrogen, when it's dominant, actually blocks thyroid action. So that's another situation where a lot of women who are gaining weight think it must be my thyroid and they'll go and get a thyroid test and it comes back normal. It's important when you do a thyroid test also not to just do TSH, but to test the uh, free T3, which is the active thyroid hormone, and free T4, which is the most abundant hormone, but isn't active. T4 has to convert to T3 to get the active thyroid function, and that's where estrogen can serve as a roadblock. If it's excessive, it can block that conversion from T4 to T3. So it's something, it's called functional hypothyroidism, meaning the thyroid itself, the gland is healthy and functioning, but you have symptoms of low thyroid. But it's because the thyroid is being thwarted or undermined by an underlying hormonal imbalance like 
and estrogen dominance, which is incredibly common as we move into perimenopause and menopause. Again, because we're not ovulating, we're not making progesterone and progesterone is the hormone that balances estrogen. So without it, we become easily estrogen dominant. And at the same time, testosterone is kind of declining with ovarian decline. We're not getting as much testosterone produced. So now we're easily able to gain weight also because testosterone is linked to metabolism. And what does it do? It's an anabolic hormone. It builds bone and it maintains it and it builds lean muscle. So testosterone is really, and DHEA, it's precursor. Those two hormones are really important when it comes to your strength and your structure. And a lot of women don't feel strong anymore. They work out and they feel exhausted or they got lots of aches and pains and just carrying the groceries into the house is too much. Their arms are aching. And in the meantime, they're gaining weight and it, no matter what they do, they can't stop it. And it's, yeah. it's all down to these waning hormones that have fallen out of balance with each other. So that's where a test can determine that. And that can be a kind of a relief because then you can say, oh, well, at least I have a reason. There's stuff going on here. And you can, again, take the steps lifestyle-wise, vitamin-wise, get a balanced life-work balance, get a balanced exercise program. Sure, do the high-intensity do strength training and weight bearing because that will boost your testosterone levels, boost your metabolism, boost your lean muscle, help you lose weight before you have to use any hormone at all. Women don't hear this because when they start to gain weight, they just ramp out on the cardio. Because I've had people ask me all the time, okay, if I have time for one thing, of course you try to balance it out. I go, as you get older, lift some weight, time under tension, your bones, things like that. And women are a lot of times afraid of that. I sort of look at it and go, okay, as I get older, if my testosterone continues to drop and I have a lot of explosive training and all these things, would you poo-poo the idea of like a testosterone supplement? I know people who are doing, you know, like the pellets and things like that. How do you feel about that stuff? I really am a fan of replenishing, diminishing hormone levels. And just because, hey, you know, a hundred years ago, we lived to be 50, now we're living to be 85, 90, right? My mother just passed at 92. I fully expect to live another, that's, we have a third act. We have a whole nother third of our lives to live where we're not making much hormone. So, I mean, our ovaries aren't, it's not like they're defunct, but they're not making much hormone for us. We have to depend on our fat cells to make some hormone and we're down to our adrenal glands to make some hormone for us. We have to depend on our adrenals solely and they already have a huge job of trying to create energy, regulate the sleep-wake cycle and our immunities against illness. So we have to have all of that support. And then if levels are really low and you're doing all these good things, it's a holistic thing. You just put in a little puzzle piece of replenishment if you're at a place where it's not like you can eat enough flax Need to bring your estrogen up to normal levels to possibly keep you from having hot flashes, night sweats, heart palpitations, and vaginal dryness. Sometimes you need a little bit of replenishment. And so the fact that we have bioidentical hormones now, which European women have been using for 30 years, but in this country, we had big pharma running the show and giving us synthetic HRT, which I think should be banned 
it's still out there. But, you know, when the Women's Health Initiative in 2003 showed us the different risks of using synthetic hormones, and there are people out there that say, oh, but there were people that that wasn't exactly representative, but it is still the fact that there are synthetic hormones that cancel out any naturally occurring and that have ill effects that increase breast cancer rates and heart disease rates and bone loss rates, et cetera, et cetera. Why not go for the bioidenticals that are made from plants? Who needs a hormone derived from a horse? I'm not a horse. (laughs) And so plant-based hormones are made from soy. They're made from wild yams. So that's number one, bioidentical. We have that choice. And also they are made in a lab, but they're made to be exact in structure and function to the hormones our own body makes. So if you think of a hormone as like a, a puzzle piece, it has a shape. It has to fit into its receptor site, has to dock up, and it has to fit properly. Chemical, synthetic, pharma, big pharma-created hormones don't fit perfectly because you can't patent a, a natural substance. So no patent, no profit. So bioidentical hormones, again, they're not synthetic because they're natural, but they work, they fit, the body knows what to do with them. It says, oh boy, a little natural progesterone. We know where to put you. They also are used in very small amounts. So when you get to asking me about, there are different forms. So that gets into the delivery system. With progesterone, the consensus I think still is that topical is best because progesterone is fat loving. So if you use a little bit of cream, you bypass the gut and the intestine, the, the, what they call the first pass effect. By using a cream, you can use a very minimal amount because it's not going to have to be processed through the gut and the intestine. It goes straight to the cells that need it. So you can use a very small amount. With testosterone, I kind of feel with most women, I like to see them do the weight bearing to increase their lean muscle. And if need be, if both DHEA and testosterone is low, why not use a little DHEA? DHEA can be used topically as well, and it is the precursor of testosterone. Actually, DHEA is the most abundant hormone in the body, and the first hormone it breaks down to is testosterone, and then to estrogen. So women can use a very low amount of DHEA, like five milligrams, start there, and do the strength training, and bring in the omega-3s, and the good fats, and the good protein, and the B vitamins and the adaptogens. And, you know, you're filling in all the areas where I think most women I know that have used pellets find that it's it can be difficult because a pellet goes in for several months and it has a bolus. So the first, your first experience is, oh, wow, I feel absolutely fantastic. I have all the strength in the world. I'm ready to take on every boyfriend and my husband that I ever had. And, you know, here, where's George Clooney? And, you know, whatever it is, we just feel like we're on top of the world. But over time, the pellets dissipate and you can feel like just like crap towards the end. So what I prefer is a steady state delivery system. That would mean a patch, a transdermal patch, as in the case of estrogen or a cream, little Goldilocks dose, just the amount that is physiologically active and or oral hormones can be used, but you know you have to use higher doses of them to get the full effect. Now, some doctors do prescribe progesterone in a micronized 
form called, it's an oral form called Prometrium. And sometimes that's great for women that can't sleep, but topical progesterone can be awesome for women that can't sleep. Use a little bit, rub it in at night and it can do, it can do wonders. And we take a break from this stuff too. It's not like you use it every single day. If you're in menopause, yes, you may have to replenish for the rest of your life because it's not like menopause ends. We're in menopause. Once we're there, we're there. Everyone has a different journey. Some people don't absorb creams through their skin very well. Some people can't swallow pills. They hate oral hormones. Some people, they love the pellets, but everyone's different. And you have to be open to the fact that you want to start slow and low, and you want to experiment with different things. And it's always very important when you do take that big step of adding in a little bit of hormone that someone is testing you that they're not just prescribing. And I work with the Dr. C.W. Randolph, who's written countless books on the subject. He's one of the gurus in bioidentical hormone therapy for the last 30 years. He has a big clinic in Florida and he has helped women with natural hormones for his whole practice. And he now makes available his proprietary creams, his formulation. He has a perfect estrogen progesterone cream and it's over the counter. It doesn't require a prescription. But we affiliate so that people test first, just to make sure, you know, you don't want to use a hormone if you don't need to. So, and you want to try, you want to do all these lifestyle things first. And I think a lot of women know, they know when they're not taking care of themselves. A lot of women will say, I, I, I know I, I, I've needed to get off the pill for ages. And some women have been on it for 25 years or, or they'll say, I know I need to stop playing words with friends at 3 a.m. <laughs> and do you think for a younger person, person, they were in a relationship or single and more sexually active, if their body could be comfortable with it, that an IUD hormonally would have less negative impact than the pill? Uh, yeah, it has less negative impact. I do suggest to women, and I test a lot of women that are on birth control, if they're, and usually their levels are going to reflect the contraception the chemicals in the contraception. So I hope to encourage women to use a more non-hormonal form of contraception. There is the copper IUD and some people will groan about that, but other people have no problem with it. Some people have heavier cramping periods at first and then it gets better. Some women are fine with it. So there are degrees, you know, better to be on an IUD than a pill which okay. can be so potent, better to be on a copper IUD than better to maybe use the diaphragm or the sponge or that sort of thing. But best of all now, I think, are these fertility trackers. We have the technology now to track our cycles. And everyone I talk to, the younger women especially, because they're savvy and techno savvy, they're using fertility trackers like Alyssa Vitti, oh. Vitti's In the Flow. She's written a great book about cycle thinking and she's got a fertility tracker. And then there's another one called Natural Cycles. And these are really like they're 99% effective. So why use a chemical? That's a great suggestion. Uh, Dr. Vitti jokes that you should give it to your partner so they know. Like, oh, I don't know what's going on. He's like, give it to your boyfriend. Uh-huh. So people can get their test. Yours is a saliva test, at-home saliva test, yourhormonebalance.com, correct? Yeah, and we have a great Instagram too with tons of information on it. Go to our, it's that's at your hormone balance. But the website, yourhormonebalance.com, has our test kits. But I encourage your listeners to go do the symptom quiz. It's right on the front page of the website. And if you have two or more, 
three or more symptoms that are troublesome and persistent, hey, you're probably walking around with a hormone imbalance and you don't even know it. If you suspect that the way you're feeling probably isn't normal, and I'm telling you it's not normal to have miserable periods and horrible moods and break up with your boyfriend or your husband every time you get a period, that's not normal. That's not normal. I sometimes say hormones rule. You know, if you're doing all these things and you still aren't feeling like yourself, then you have to investigate a little bit further. And I should mention that when people test with us, we send them a full-on rebalancing guide full of natural remedies, all the natural remedies that we know can be helpful, all the lifestyle, the food, everything that we know can be helpful. And we do have packages where people can talk to someone. I've actually talked to at least 2,000 women in the last couple of years. So I'm backing off a bit, but I'm still available and we have health coaches because people need to talk. We also need to talk about this. You know, everybody who's listening, what we've just talked about today and all the things you've raised, I think are really a wonderful way to realize that we have a lot of thinking to do, time to put into ourselves now, into our girl children to make them aware. Increasing awareness and taking action is going to change the whole picture for us. It's a holistic picture. It's not one thing. It's many things, but it's nothing insurmountable. Balance can be attained. You can. I can't tell you the number of people that feel so much better mood-wise and period-wise and women that have gotten pregnant, women that have gotten their periods back, women that are cruising through menopause and feeling great and looking good for their age. You know, it can be done. So more power to us. Amen. Thank you, Candace. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.